Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Z, man, it was great seeing you in California. You know, always a pleasure to be there. So now we're back on opposite ends of the country, but keeping the conversation going, still talking about everything that's happening in the world. And we've been talking about what are we here for? Uh, that's the topic of today. The reason this is so important, this question of what are we here for? What are we trying to achieve in this finite amount of time that we have in life? If we look at society, we've hit a point of dysfunction. And a lot of people feel it, Z. I know the people that you work with, the people that I interact with, it feels like life has just gotten stressful. Maybe there's less joy. I don't know if you've seen that. It just feels like everyone's miserable in their own way. I think there's some Russian novel that, that covers that topic, some old Russian novel. But it feels like everyone is miserable in in different ways, but still miserable because there's this overhang of stress, there's exhaustion, there's being burnt out, being consumed by technology, not being able to connect, not being able to form actual human relationships, not being able to wind down. We've got this constant sense of urgency, this constant news cycle. So that means that you can't sleep, you can't recover. You, you just can't have fun. I mean, you could, but it feels like a lot of the joy in life has been stripped away. So that brought the question to my mind and and we've been talking about this, what are we really here for? I mean, if we're not living in a way that feels vibrant and it feels joyful, and of course there are moments of pain and challenge, but ultimately we get past those and we get back to that point of, of just having fun, you know, just spending time with people that we care about, doing things that we're passionate about. If there's not that, if there's just this constant sense of urgency and anxiety and we're comparing ourselves to other people and we're feeling like we're not measuring up, what the hell are we doing? And as we were talking about the Z, it's important at, at an individual level. I think it's also very important at a social level because the collection of indiv if individual priorities forms our social policy. So the way that we approach work, the way that we approach employment, the way that we approach foreign policy as a nation, that we prioritize certain things over other things, that all depends on what we care about and what we value. And it feels like a lot of our values ultimately come down to, let me just find more. Let me get more. Whether it's more money, more experience, it's almost like this blind drive, this machine, this giant vacuum, which is sucking up more and more and more. And that leads to conflict. So you can look at whether it's the current conflict with Russia and Ukraine, which is in a way a proxy battle. Uh, the bigger battle is between Russia and NATO and the Western world. And it's a bit of a fight for supremacy. Who's going to define the new world order? Who's going to be able to supply energy to Europe? Uh, who's going to come out on top economically? These seem to be our priorities. And these, uh, these considerations are driving our foreign policy. And you think about the cost of that, at a social level, it means that we have higher energy prices, we have higher food prices. A lot of the world just can't deal with this increase. So we're going to see a lot more starvation. We're going to see famine. Even in countries that are better off, you're going to see pain because energy prices are higher. That eats into people's paychecks. So there's this rising level of discontent socially because of social policies. At the same time that individually we're breaking down from stress and anxiety. And that really makes me question whether we have our priorities straight or not. And if we don't have our priorities straight, or if we don't know whether we have our priorities straight, let's look at what we're chasing, what we're going after. Let's examine the consequences of those policies, of those priorities, and really just ask, is it something that serves us? Is it something that gives back to our lives, that gives us energy, that gives us meaning in these few moments that we have between the time we're born and the time that we die. And if not, then what the hell are we doing? Maybe we should reconsider how we're living. 
again, we can't change society, but we start with ourselves. At least we can opt out of this. We can maybe live a life that is more joyful, that is less anxiety prone. And if we're lucky and we inspire enough people or change the collective priorities, maybe that changes something bigger than just the self. And maybe our entire society or government can start moving in more intelligent directions. But even if we don't hit that latter goal, at least we can take charge of ourselves and step away again from goals that really don't do anything for us. So I want to start with that, Z, just this simple question, what are we here for? And when you take a look at it, how would you answer that question? Yeah, Vin, that is one of those really heavy questions that have been contemplated over all the ages of humanity. It's been written about from Taoist, Sufis, prehistoric um, legends tell us this has been that question, what are we here for? And the echo back, if you hear that repeated over, and you think about the simplest thing, of course, Rumi says it the best, is to experience love. Um, but we're very far from that. We miss that. Uh, collectively, I'm not saying that all individuals, but if you have that in your life, it's a great thing. Um, it's a hard thing to even discuss because as I work with people every day and in and, and, and my little bitty world where I try to mitigate human suffering one person at a time, teach, share, um, treat in the ways that I can, I look at the whole world. I stand back and I, I, use, I use the dispassion observer technique hovering over the world and I listen. I really listen to people. And in my lifetime, in my um, 60 and a half years, uh, 60 plus years on this planet, almost uh, 70 years, I've seen changes and trends. And as I've matured, I've been able to be uh, a better observer of first myself and the events of life. And it's difficult. And I try to separate the idea that is it me being older and more mature, uh, having a different perspective of life as I'm nearer to 100 than I am to, to 20 or 30. And I try to compare that intellectually and uh, I, I read uh, journals and things of, of those in the past. And I, I, I look at that and it's very different now. Um, the levels of anxiety that the average person suffers is visible, it is quantifiable, it is easily observable. People aren't healthy. Physically, people are not healthy as they used to be. Look at an old movie. Look at movies of 20, 30 years ago. Look at the amount of augmentation that people do to their appearance to deny the ravages of their life. A young man showed me a woman he was on a date with who was in her early 30s who had been getting extensive plastic surgery since she was in her 20s. And it was horrible. It, it was really horrible. Not just the plastic surgery, but whatever was in her heart that felt she needed to do that at such a young age and that it was a normal thing in her social group. <clears throat> I look at the way that the beauty of human relationships and how little it's valued interpersonally with the rise of different kind of quick mediums of interaction that don't require depth of character or connection or, or that kind of gelling or, or melding together that comes from ch checking and stressing and getting to know friends, lovers, whoever, we've eliminated that. So this is something I've observed. So all of these things that we're eliminating are the things that make life have character. It gives life form and stature and mobility. If you start taking these things away, um, we become drones. It's like an ancient scripture of the days of the dead, where there are people that are moving, but they're not living. 
it saddens me at times just when I step back and maybe in retrospect of, of the hopes, maybe it's the hopes I had or that the fact that my children will inherit a very different world than I did. <clears throat> and again, <clears throat> I don't walk around pessimistic. I, 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 I typically am a happy person or content. I tend to be on the grumpy side of content, but I, I, I like things. I like life. I like people that I interact with. I like the efforts of my day. But in the quiet, I just observe in. And you see good people <clears throat> looking at issues so different than one another. You see social divisiveness as a a, a, a cultural, a style, a trend of the day. We get to witness the failure of government and the judiciary in the United States, a complete collapse. You hear the dialogue of people that it is extraordinarily polarizing just in the way we speak to one another. So the idea of collectively nurturing our life in the earth, we can't do that because we have so many uh, boundaries between one another that even the simplest thing we can't agree upon. I was looking at a, a newspaper article and they were doing all the gymnastics to uh, tell everybody that the Ukraine-Russia event was a noble and worthy thing uh, between good and evil. And they literally said something so confusing that they had to repeat it and be even more confused. They were saying in, in a fight for against evil, you have to be ambiguous about what evil is. They really said that on one of these media programs. So you have to be uncertain and doubtful and undefined on what evil is so you can fight evil? What the hell does that mean? We're at that point that we talk like that. You watch an entertainment show and some man runs up and slaps another man on stage and there's a debate on whether it was that assault was the right thing to do, whether it was phony or staged. It stimulated people enough to distract a large portion of the consumer audience away from issues of concern that would, their energy would be worth spent on if they were concerned with those issues. The price of fuel goes down, but it's stagnant and rising in parts of the country that is adversely affecting the livelihood and the well-being of many. It is, we're seeing an uptick in criminality based on people uh, being desperate to survive, not justifying criminality, only, only to say that chickens come home to roost. When people can't afford things, they want to live, and they'll do whatever they need to do to survive. And that may mean stealing your stuff or attacking you. So there's that effect, that cause and effect. I heard a discussion someone was having about these concepts of affirmative action, just like you and I discussed earlier. And there's this myth that there's a large group of hardworking Asian people that are being denied college because a bunch of uh, low-grade moron black kids that are crack babies with fetal alcohol syndrome are being allowed into Harvard and Yale above Asian children. It's just not true. But people get that and we become more hate-feel, more divided. Not a lot of Asians involved in that. In general, it's not, it wasn't even their political uh, agenda. It was somebody else's that co-opted enough people. And just this kind of constant feeding of the hate fire. People openly talk about our freedoms are being impinged upon. Our freedoms are being denied. Exactly what is freedom? What is it the thing that you're being denied that upsets you enough that you want to kill someone, anyone, attack anyone? What freedom is it that you don't have? And 
how are you entitled to freedom? This isn't sustainable. It is a bigger virus than the COVID. You know, we were worried about COVID, which 78% of the people that died of COVID were obese, grossly overweight, extraordinarily unhealthy. Most of them, 78% by some statistics. Yet we have a movement that says you should not uh, fat shame or there's even a new article I read that people who work out were more than likely Nazis. There's actually a movement and a, a, and a group of thinkers that's, that have correlated exercising and being healthy with Nazi military preparedness. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And for the person that hates working out, they'd love to hear that. For a person that feels a victim of life because they have made poor diet and lifestyle choices. This is a lot. And if there's a lot of people that are like that and they hear that, it's a hell of a rally cry against working out. Not only that, against people who work out. As I'm sharing these kind of bits of info, what I'm trying to do is put together an image that we see every day but we don't have words for. Because our mission isn't to upset you, to get you depressed. I just want to provoke thinking. I just want us to think and not just react to things that are being sold to us. They understand the algorithm of sales is you track people's consumer behavior, their reading behavior, just like they do online here. They track what we read, their stories we like to hear, and then they confirm it, affirm it, and then shake it up and add a bit of anxiety and fear to it so that you consume. And then they can sell you things. We're all subject to it. And I got a great um, exercise watch and a couple of exercise things from the ads they sent me because they understand what I like to read. So they sent me a few ads, uh, electric cups. I got them for Anissa and all that. You know, just some th things they sell you. They know me. They know you. They know all of us. And it drives a certain business, but that business isn't the business of a great humanity. It's the business of a few oligarchs, a few people who I'd imagine hate humanity. I was speaking to a young man who went to a party and at that party was one of the richest men in the world who makes electric cars. And he went to the party and he said it was, this is a young man in his 30s, went to this party, saw this guy, and he said the amount of drugs and the, the debauchery going on that was centered around humiliating people was the theme of the party. What people were willing to do for pay. So they had the women and the men and thing groveling, doing all sorts of, you know, not even kinky stuff, but just bizarre and debauched things for his entertainment. And the young man said it was, it was, it was so bizarre. And he said to the level where it felt evil and he left. And people were coming in in droves to watch a freak show. Now here's a person who is one of the wealthiest people in the world, a well-known person, household name, who has tapped into technology and changed the economy. And their satisfaction is in the degradation of the common human being. The people who don't have the financial resources but long to be like them, they're willing to sacrifice their human dignity at the swipe of a credit card or a PayPal transaction. Some people say, well, it's all about the money. No, I heard an economist say it's not about money, it's about culture. This economist said an amazing thing. He said cultures that have some sort of identity 
ethics, the desire to preserve their culture, have limits on how they interact with money. When a culture has value and it wants to survive, they withdraw their resources. They engineer their commerce in such a way that it will benefit their culture and the descendants of that culture for generations. Because there is an innate primitive thing in human beings that we want to survive. And once we want to, after we are able to survive, then we want to thrive. After we thrive, we want to revive. After we revive, we want to evolve. Then after we evolve, we want to sustain. It's kind of a natural series of events. When you see a culture that is dying and going extinct, one or more of those features are missing from that culture. When the different cultures flee uh, lands that have been devastated and they sit with each other and they want to survive, they may have a lot of disagreements, a lot of things, you know, but what they say is we will not allow any of our resources to not bring us abundance and, and survivability first, then sustainability, then we thrive, we evolve, we sustain it. And when you're not doing that, you're dying. And that can be done in a number of ways. If you see the plight of the Africans all over the world, Africans are in an extinction phase um, for many reasons. Uh, Vladimir Putin spoke about it. Africa has the oldest civilization on earth, produced every resource, every gave birth to every breakthrough in the world, but they're dying because of their lack of value for their own culture, not money, not education. It is the lack of value. And they value Western culture, which values nothing. And I know it's hard to hear for people who are Westerners, but I'm speaking in that way because as I observe, if all we value is gross materialism, then what do you really value? If everything has a price on it. And when Malcolm X said chickens come home to roost, he talked about the phenomena of when chickens go out in the morning, they always come back at night. Whatever you are, it comes back on you. So it's not these primitive third world countries that have the earth on the brink of collapse. It's the so-called civilized advanced nations that have wreaked havoc. Why? Because it is about consuming and more. There is no, the term morality doesn't even exist in our speech lexicon anymore. In, in, in this century, this concept of morality, even though it was a phantom, a notion, an idea, a thought, it existed. Some idea that there would be some boundary of behavior, some concept of decency and fair play, even though it was just an ideology, it still existed. And some people, mainly poor people, uh, they, they adhere to the idea of being moral. Only poor people believe in, and when I say only poor, it's not to knock the rich. I'm talking about the movers and shakers of society that, like this man who was at the party, who even though he's worth trillions of dollars, he still needed to see people grovel and crawl and denigrate themselves in his presence to feel good about himself. That's what I'm talking about. So I don't want to use that term rich because nothing's wrong with being rich. I'd love to be rich myself. Say it helped me with a lot of problems I'm having. Um, but I also understand what it brings me and the limit to it. I don't want to control anybody. I don't want to rule anybody. Uh, I want to live and let live. Boom, boom, boom. So I think we want to use another term, but I'm saying the cognitive elite, the people that look at the world as a toy or a, a game pad, and they're okay creating these trends where we go and destroy a country, create refugees, install a feudal dictator, and then talk about how they're underdeveloped. Or we make land, we harvest minerals, make the land uh, unfarmable, unerable, and then say, look at these horrible people as we sit on, uh, like my new iPhone 13, we sit on that and go, uh, in this great technology, uh, the air is unbreathable in certain areas. Uh, 
big glaciers collapsing. We're arguing because it's a left or right issue, whether there's global warming as we see the polar ice caps literally falling off. I think the other day the big glacier just fell off, raising sea levels, and we're still caught up in a left-right paradigm of if the left says it, I'm against it. If the right says it, I'm against it. When none of it is real. There was an expose the other day somebody did. A, uh, there's this young uh, politician, and he said that he was invited to a number of orgies in Washington. I think it's the guy in the wheelchair, so I'm not sure how that's going, what's going on there. But it's a young politician in the wheelchair, and he said that since he's been to Washington, it's just decadent. He said these people are amoral, and they invited to literary orgies and things were going on, which I don't have a problem with people's sexual things. I, I hope that to get invited to an orgy with nice people, but I'm not a politician that's telling you how to live your life. And people are debating whether what he said was true or not. And it's true. And I'll tell you, uh, in my own experience, I tell the story when I worked in Washington, D.C. This was back in the early 80s. I had a girlfriend named Stephanie, beautiful young lady. I think I've told the story before. She invites me to a Halloween party. I wasn't a party type person, but I was a young man and had met a really pretty girl. So if she wanted to go and do snow bunnies, uh, paint snow angels or whatever they call in the snow, I would have did it with her. If she wanted to go to um, the circus, I would have went to her. Anything to, to be in her company. That's how guys are. Used to be. Can't speak nowadays. Different. Caitlin told me they're not like that anymore. But back in the day, guys would do whatever it took to hang around a pretty girl just to be in her company. And so you'd put up with things or you'd go along with things you weren't interested in. So we go to the party. It's on 17th and L Street in Washington, D.C., this is right across from the old Department of War, which is right across the lawn from the White House. 17th and L used to be the old Secret Service headquarters upstairs. Downstairs were shops with kind of fake uh, shops for the because it was a CIA uh, Secret Service building and that kind of stuff. So we go there, knock on the door. I knew some of the people. Hey, Z, what's up? Blah 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 blah. You go in. You have a pass. You, you had a, a RSVP. And in there was every politician in Washington, D.C. who was on C-SPAN or whatever face the nation arguing the moral uh, qualities of America and the decency of America and what's right or wrong and ban rap music or whatever it was they were for, pro-abortion, against abortion. They were all together at a wife swappers party, a fetish wife swapper party where they were doing, doing their thing publicly in front of everybody while they were discussing the business in Washington, D.C. And again, I have no problem with that. The problem I had with what, not what they're doing, but, what, but how, how they live their life outside of that, where they would point the finger, condemn, get votes from their constituents on how moral and decent they were. And that's how they were actually living their life. Uh, the, the hypocrisy, the lack of character, the void of human decency, uh, not in what they were doing again, because I won't judge people like that. It's how they, how they railed against themselves, how they said this is immoral, debauched behavior, but that's what they were doing. They were obsessed with these as topics on the news stations, on decency, on the preservation of freedom, and they were for none of that. But yet, when they went and got in front of cameras and their constituency, they would rally the crowds with these different things. Be a patriot. I'm a patriot. But yet you dodge the draft. You wouldn't go to the war. But I'm a patriot. Or, you know, I, I, I'm for the poor. And you're driving your Rolls Royce and uh, stealing money from the budget or, or getting loans for your friends. But it's us. It's us. It's us. We keep going for it. We keep going for war. They had the the um, Vietnam Papers came out, and there's a recording of Nixon actually negotiating with the Vietnamese president to keep the war going so it helped him win the election. But people will argue because they're Republican whether Nixon was a great man. No, he's not a great man. He murdered people to advance his own self. He murdered poor 
ignorant people who believed that it was a patriotic duty to go to an expeditionary war to kill a bunch of Asian people who had no desire to harm you. We fell for that. Fast forward recent times. We fell for Iraq. Iraq did nothing to the United States. Nothing. Nothing to the United States. Gaddafi did nothing to the United States. I'm not pro against him. I'm just, let's just call it, folks. So the more that we, as individuals, drink this Kool-Aid, it doesn't just hurt the millions of people far away who are being ravaged by the military-industrial complex of the United States. It rips us apart. Look what's happening to, to the average person. Walk through a mall and look at the mannequins that are now looked to be bloated and swollen up. There was a sporting goods store walk by. I asked my wife, what, what the hell is this? They had uh, workout clothes for people that were four times the normal size of anybody. So this doesn't make sense. It's a workout store for people who don't work out? Now there's a movement to say if you do work out, you're probably a Nazi because you're making yourself military ready? Think about the mindset of somebody who would even come up with that way of thinking. You feel that threatened by people who can get up out of a chair and walk a flight of stairs? that you feel that they're going to be stormtroopers from some Star, Star Wars episode coming to get you and snatch you away from your Burger Mac burger or something? My God, this is, I mean, this is crazy. But we're buying it. We're buying it. We're buying it. And so we ask, what are we here for? I hope that, and I strive every day to just be here to water my plants. That's all I'm here. Today I got to work out with uh, Pretty Tony and um, who else was here? Rob. And uh, we were doing martial arts together and the kids have really developed as martial artists. It was so impressive to watch them develop into really strong, healthy men of character. And so as much as I talk about things that are gloomy and bad, I try every day. I try every day just to do something to water my garden. My world is a good world. And that's what we're here for. I share what's out there just so we can separate yourself from what's out there. Don't buy into this stuff. Don't try, as these newspaper people are doing, to try and turn a Nazi country, a hate field, diseased nation into something that's worth your time. Leave them alone. How about just leave them alone? Leave them alone. My concern, I have little kids. They said they're going to let 100,000 Ukrainians come to the country. And I can predict to the letter that once they get here, as they settle in, they'll get jobs. A number of them will join police departments all over the United States. And they will bring with them their ideology and they will kill many unarmed and innocent civilians of color more than likely and we'll be hearing about it in the next 18 months it is predictable it is obvious and no one asked but a year ago people worried about hordes of mexicans coming in and taking jobs there's not a job a Mexican immigrant is doing that I want to take. Not a single job. I do not want any of the jobs they do. So whatever job they're taking, I'm not doing. They work their ass off for nothing. I have my tenants, the hardest working family you ever want, one of the hardest working families you ever meet. I hope a thousand more come and do that, work like that. Um, I want us to think I know we're going off in a bunch of directions. The whole thing is, what are we here for? We're here to water our garden. Then I got to hang out with your daughters. They got to hang out with my kids. To see the kids happy, hopeful, looking forward to their future. I think they wanted to marry each other or something. Little bitty kids, the cutest thing in the world. That's all we can do, and that's the best we can do, and that's the most we could do. I work with people and help them feel better 
and I try to educate people about their health and well-being more than even mitigate the immediate issue they have. I can do that, but at this point in my career, what I want to do is educate people on how to have a well life, and it works out, and it's the most beautiful thing when you see people do better. And they'll ask me, when can I come back in and see you? And I say, I hope never, because I'm a horrible businessman, for one. But also, I hope that they got enough knowledge and information from me to flourish. If not, I'll see you again. So for all of those out there who are opting out, let's just water our garden. And in this world, where gardens are, are, are in short supply, I heard from our dear friend Zul down in Bali that the food prices are out of hand in Bali because all these small countries, these primitive subhuman countries, as the newspaper reports it, are now needed to supply food to the civilized Western countries because they're not producing food anymore for whatever reason. So they're importing. I heard the, I think you told me, the IMF won't even give money to these countries unless they're in a non-compete with other countries. It's, it's, it's insane. So let us do our part and spiritually, emotionally, and socially water our garden. Take care of those that are within arm's reach of you. We are in this kind of symbolic zombie apocalypse movie where you have to create these small communities, protect yourself from the walking dead. And even some of the people, if you go out and venture out and you get bit and you love somebody and they get bit by the zombie, you can't let them back in because they bring that with them. I try to, I really screen the politics of the day that people listen to because it is so polarizing, people can't think. So no matter what their side does, it's okay. It's my side. So I try to slowly and subtly encourage people Police your own side. Police your own group. Make your group the most humane, decent group before you point the finger at anyone else. And it's a hard lesson because people don't want to hear that because we have this mechanism, this reflex of guarding our group. You hear certain words, certain flashpoints, and you, ooh. I hear people will talk to me and they'll mention their race. And I check myself because again you know what I believe I don't believe there's anything called a race of people I believe there are different cultures and ethnicities but we're all of a common genesis of hominin and maybe if we work with that we'll have fewer things to be mad at each other about for no frigging reason or maybe we'll understand why people do what they do why does the Mexican family have so many damn kids and so many damn parties and so many damn get-togethers because they value family in a very visceral way, not from long distance. They check on each other every day. They honor each other every day, every weekend. Even to my chagrin, they have a get-together. What's it called? A quesadilla for the girls. And they have all these get-togethers. And, and I've learned in living around people of different cultures, wow, it's a lot like African people. That's why I don't hang out with my family, because they're always having get-togethers and doing stuff that ends up, you know, a, a lot of food, a lot of dancing, and, and then they're, they're just happy, and I'm kind of grumpy. So it's like, all these happy people. But I appreciate it. I get it. I understand it. I understand religious people, where they hear the dog whistle of their religion, and they become mean and guarded, and then they become confused. Because, you know, you live in a world now where people are asking you to support a certain country that basically a few generations ago was involved in mass genocide, and now you got to go over there and help them out. That's yeah, kind of a dilemma. Um, make it easy. Let's make it easy. We're here to experience life. The Buddha said the purpose of life is joy. We get joy by fulfilling your duty. Talked about that before. So let's water our own garden. Let's reach out to the people that love us, that support us. Look at the stuff that's going on and reject it. Not some of it, all of it. It's not real. It's a lot of what they call, what, um, 
crisis acting, drama that just takes you away from things that you can control. There's not a lot of things we control in this world, but you can control yourself and your efforts. So let's be here to have joy in life. But don't do that and blind yourself to the things that are going on around you, the pitfalls, the things you can get caught up in. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I'm listening to you, Z, and I'm actually in shock. I think I'm still trying to get over the fact that you call the 15th birthday party a quesadilla. Well, come on, man. <laughs> I have an accent. Okay, my, my accent. Whatever. I'm not, yeah. I don't mean to say. Yeah. I, you know what I'm talking about. What's it, what's it called? It's a quinceanera. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a chalupa. I don't know. Whatever. It's one of those things. But we'll put that aside for a second. My mispronounced. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I got it right. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that I find it useful to understand is how we got to this place. I mean, we've talked about the dysfunction. We've talked about opting out of it. I'll just share an observation that I've had in my own life and as I observe what goes on in this world, that it feels at times like we've confused the means and the end, or or we take the means and we turn that into an end. And what I mean by that is you take something like acquisition, you take something like money. You talked about how there have to be limits around this. You have nothing wrong, or as you said, Z, there's nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with having money. But what does that do for us? What is the limit of that? How much are we willing to sacrifice for it? Because ultimately, we want money so that we can live, so that we can survive, so that we have some reserve if things don't go our way, uh, if we lose a job or there's some unexpected expense. So it provides some stability. It provides some peace of mind, eases anxiety. And once we have a certain amount, then, as you said, we can focus on other things. We can thrive. We can evolve. We can pass on the knowledge and and continue the cycle. So that wealth accumulation serves a purpose to a point, but it feels like we've lost sight of that. And instead, we treat the accumulation, the endless accumulation of wealth, the endless accumulation of experience, the constant urgency as an end in itself. I have to do more. I have to achieve more. I have to get more. Okay, but why? What is that really doing for me? I don't know. I just know that I'm running faster and faster and faster, and I don't know what the hell the purpose is. And in the meantime, I'm feeling burnt out and I'm feeling depressed. And if I had the time, I could stop back and and maybe evaluate the situation a little more objectively, but I don't even have the time because I can't slow down for a single second. Uh, So that, I feel, is where we've gone wrong. And you see it actually from a spiritual level as well. You know, you think about all of the spiritual traditions, and so much of life is about contemplation. It's about getting the senses under control. I think about our sense, about sense gratification in the same way. You know, our senses are essentially an alert system. They tell us if we're hungry, they tell us if we're tired, if we're thirsty. Uh, We process information, so we need stimulation to understand the environment and scan for whatever danger is going on around us. But once that alert comes in, we can ask ourselves whether everything is okay. I'm going to check my vital signs. I'm going to make sure I'm all right. And if I am, then great. Then that frees me up to do something else, uh, to live maybe a life of contemplation. All of the things we've talked about, water your garden, as you said, Z. Uh, But that's another area where I think we've gotten away from that message. And we're at a lower consciousness point uh, where we're looking at gratification as an end in itself. Let me just get more experience, more stimulation, more of these quick fixes and these quick highs, and my life is going to be a series of high after high after high. But of course, if we do that, then we go through the inevitable crashes, and then we're always in a situation, as the Buddha described, where we're striving for something. We're striving for that next thing, that next thing, that next thing, and we've never got that, that, that peace, that opportunity to grow and develop. So maybe we can reframe our approach to life and think about the things we chase, not so much as a perpetual purpose, but more a necessity, a baseline, a foundation that we can build upon and start asking ourselves, what is the limit of this pursuit, whether it's money, whether it's friends, whether it's status, whatever it is, how am I going to get to the point where I know that I'm okay 
And once I'm okay, what am I going to do? What does it mean to water my garden? What does it mean to tend to the things that are important to me? And that's where other aspects of what we've talked about come into play. We have to know ourselves. We have to do that I am meditation and really understand what we're all about, what is going to provide that sense of connection and satisfaction. So that's how I think about it, Z. I don't know if you have any reaction to that, but I find that at least in my own life is a useful way to frame the problem because I really feel like we've confused a means to something with an end in itself. Yeah, Vin, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's an opportunity to recalibrate. You know, whenever you fly an aircraft, small aircraft, you have to go in and you have to zero out the calibrations based on true north and things like that, finding your true north. Um, whenever you begin uh, any process of navigation, one has to find the true north so you can figure out where you're going so that you can arrive at your destination um, uh, within reason and without consuming extraordinary resources being lost and correcting your path. For all of us, if we do exercises in finding your true north, you can navigate this world much better. Look at current events and try and find your true north. For those of you who follow politics, if you call yourself a Democrat, a Republican, a conservative, a libertarian, go just focus on, on the, the idea, the tenets of your ideology. Don't look outside of that. Don't look down on people of other ideologies. Make sure those who are like you and hold your same ideological position, they're living up to those things. If you see someone outside of the limits of that ideology. Those are the people you should call first and critique first because they represent you. For those of you who look at example law and order, criminals should go to jail whether they are criminals in jeans and hoodies or whether they are criminals in uniform or whether they are criminals in judges robes. They should all go and face the penalties of a crime right away, like everyone else. They should be fast-tracked. The higher up and the more prestigious they are. That's what I say. If you're a religious person, what are the tenets and ideology of your religion that represent and makes it sacred to you? Are the priests and rabbis and ministers and imams of that religion that you follow, are they living up to those things? If not, call it. Don't call outside of that. If you're a person who has a race pride, you talk about how noble and wonderful and great the history of your race is, then live up to that. If it requires you demeaning, uh, denigrating, inflicting genocide or homicide on another, you got a problem. You lost your way because chickens will come home to roost. If you advocate something, I advocate fitness and well-being and that, and I strive for it every day. Be an example of what you advocate. Simplify your life and find your own true north. Once you've found your true north, restrain yourself. Water your own garden. You see the world is chaos, crazy stuff. When I heard those news people trying to justify um, the behavior of one country that was evil against another country evil, it made everybody involved evil. Just trying to, to, to uh, swim in that shit show made everybody shitty. Just pull yourself away from it. It's not real. If you're really concerned about the suffering of your people, then say that and say, I don't care about those other people. I don't relate to them, and that's okay, but don't pretend to care about humanity because it's time for people that look like you to suffer because you never cared before. So the momentum of genocide, the momentum of hate, the momentum of rage, and the, that, 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 that wheel of indifference has already picked up momentum.
Yeah, A- AZ, I'm going to interrupt you here for a second because there was a another question I had in mind. You just reminded me. And we're in this phony world. We're in this world where people do things and they try and justify them in all kinds of ways. Politicians do this. They stand for nothing. They say whatever they think will get them elected. We see this in the political realm, the foreign policy realm, as we've just been talking about. There's this outcry about how we have to care about human rights and we have to care about refugees from Ukraine, but there's no concern for refugees from the rest of the world. There's no concern for millions of people who are now going to starve because food prices are higher. We're seeing inflation from this conflict. No one's talking about that. And this phoniness really bothers people. I mean, it really bothers me. I would feel so much better if we just came out and said, you know, we're all about money and as a country, our policy is to just go and do whatever the hell we want to get as much money as we can. At least we would admit it. But something about hiding behind human rights when the historical record shows no concern for human rights, it bugs me. I mean, it really pisses me off. And I feel like in interpersonal relationships, it's the same thing. If you have hypocrisy, if you have double standards, if you have lies, it's just something that is disgusting. I mean, it's repulsive and it really angers people. What is your perspective on that? I mean, why is this duplicity such a horrible trait? Why is it better in my mind to be a killer and a thief and come out and say you're a killer and a thief versus being being fake? I think it's the concept of true north, owning yourself. And there is integrity. And one of <clears throat> something that's said, <clears throat> excuse me, something that's said in the Vedic text is that the, real, the only true sin, a true sin is when one does something without integrity. So if you're a thief, say you're a thief. If you're a murderer, say you're a murderer. If you hate people, you're a racist, say it. Own it. There are no, actually, there are no severe penalties to that. There are no real severe penalties if you just admit it. I don't like X. There's this myth that you're going to lose your job. You're going to be socially No, you only hang out with people that share your own views anyway. This is a bizarre thing. You can say, I don't care about other people. If you're an athlete that has an unfair advantage over other athletes, just say, I like winning because um, it's better to win than to lose. I don't care how the game is played as long as I win. You know, I was a fan of Formula One until last year, and the guy I like was Lewis Hamilton. And he's racing his car, and a steward made adjustments in the race so that his nemesis or could catch up with him and, and swipe the world championship. It was just an obvious cheat. But for the people who liked the uh, competitor, the cheat was fine. But just say they cheated and I won. And then as that sinks in, think about it. Did you win? If you own yourself, you get to evaluate yourself. Look, a lot of people hate other people for different reasons. Just say it. If you work in a hospital and you hate certain groups of people, it will save you from maybe being sued for malpractice. Just say it. Own yourself. If you enjoy the blood suffering and you watch people in Syria and Eritrea and Ethiopia and you watch immigrants from South and Central America and you watch them and you really enjoy their deaths, you watch the Afghan and you know that millions of children will die this year from starvation and that arouses you. It gives you some sort of homicidal sensual rush. Just say that's your fetish. Say you're in the fetish of death, but don't pretend that all of a sudden you're a humanitarian. It actually hurts you more than it hurts because we all know it. You know it. Let's just own ourselves and do the best we can. And by owning ourselves, we get a better understanding. We understand ourselves. It is about self-realization, self-knowing. And then that triggers a growth in you. If you could look in your children's eyes and love them, but then say that no other parent loves their kids the way I do, 
those people over in these dirty places, uh, they, they, they deserve death. Say it. But when it's your child's turn, know that's what you've laid bare. That's what you've put out there. Just own yourself. Don't, don't try for this empty, fake idea of perfection. Just be pure. Just be you. That's like nature. The, be, the, the, the best water to drink in nature, they say, is mountain spring water. And you know what's in mountain spring water when you actually put it under a microscope? A little bit of deer shit, a little bit of bird's poop, some rocks, some dirt, just enough as it goes down. And that's, what, that's that bottled spring water, right? That fresh mountain flow, that pure water has just enough corruption in it to trigger your immune system to keep you healthy. It's like taking a vaccination. Pure mountain spring water is better than distilled water, which is pure water. Even better. It has just enough extra stuff in it to help sustain life and feed the molecules in your body. What if we all tried to own ourselves, like in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and jump up and raise your hand, I am an alcoholic. What if you just got up and said, I don't really give a damn about people outside my group. Just hold your hand up. Now when we do commerce, we're okay. We could bring harmony into the world without even trying, just by being. So I hear what you're saying, and yeah, I love people when they admit who they are. Right? I'm a flim-flam man. I'm a, I'm a horrible human being. I, I love suffering, or I, I like to cook cats in a skillet, or whatever it is you like to just say it. Now that, that helps you. The people that don't support that can get away from you. The people that like you can rally behind you, so you know who your allies are. But it requires a certain amount of character to do that. Again, you can have character and not be a nice person, right? Attila the Hun had character. He knew he was Attila the Hun. Yeah, he was a horrible person, but he had great character. So you're still a horrible person. Now you're just a horrible person with poor character because you don't acknowledge who you are. Might as well have something about you that's redeeming. At least, hey, he told me who he was. He let me know just who he was. Now I'm not blindly going into something with an assumption. So I admire people that are open. It's one of the things that I enjoy being in the military. We would be around a lot of people that were openly racist, and you could actually work with them. It was the ones that hit it that were problematic, who would undermine you at every step of the way, who would damage your equipment or do things like that with a smile on their face. Those were the dangerous ones. Right? The doctors that had eugenics points of views but would smile and go along with things while they damaged your body. That, that's the rough one. But if you knew that certain so didn't like certain people, you knew, hey, I'm going to get a point with somebody else. Saves everybody a lot of grief and time. So there's something about having character. Something good about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we can wrap over here. With the character, I'll just make a final observation on this. If you're transparent, if you're open, as you're saying, Z, even if you're a horrible person, and who's to say what's horrible? I guess we've got our different views and standards. But whatever you are, other people at least know how to deal with you. You can come up, it's almost like nature. You can arrange yourself in some kind of dynamic configuration that works because you know what you're dealing with. But when you don't know what you're dealing with, that's when the chickens come home to roost, which is what we talked about at the beginning. You put something out there that's untrue, that's fake, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that's phony, you're not honest with people, and maybe you get away with it for a while, but eventually you piss people off, and it leads to anger and resentment, and it leads to a certain damage that ultimately comes back uh, to bite you. So as we close this out and we think about what we are here for, let's have that that clarity of self. Let's build that character. Let's be clear on who we are. Let's present an authentic version of ourselves to the world. And also know the limits of what we're chasing. Uh, know what we need as a precondition to live. 
and be able to separate that from the purpose of life. Uh, the purpose of life is not to get endless amounts of stuff. Endless amounts of stuff aren't going to save us from death. It's not going to save us from harm. We need a certain baseline uh, to make sure that we can survive, to make sure that we can endure difficult times. But once we have that, maybe a shift in priorities is something we should reflect on. And if we do that, I believe we can save ourselves a lot of the problems we've been talking about. Even if we can't save the world at a personal level, we can save ourselves anxiety, we can save ourselves depression, we can take care of our health. We can just have a better time. Whatever time we have on this planet, we can make sure that it's something that we enjoy. So that's it for me, Z. That's it for us. We'll talk to everybody next week. Please get in touch with us. Check out Dharma Media. Send us an email if you uh, like to comment or talk to us about anything. Uh, if you have subjects that you'd like to uh, share with us and we can talk about. And let's grow the Dharma Media platform. Take a look with um, Lion with a Mic. Um, check out the Dharma Health Institute. And subscribe. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.